Hi there, you're listening to episode three of F&B Soundbites, a podcast on hot topics, trends and challenges for professionals in the food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Hamish McCook. In this episode, I'm joined by Alistair Lane, an international consultant, specialist in food and beverage supply chains and director of Value Chain Connections Limited. Alistair's been working in the food and beverage industry for over 40 years and recently he's been actively working with a number of organisations as they adapt to the new challenges thrown up by the current pandemic. No doubt many of our listeners would have seen extensive media coverage about the disruption of global food supply chains. They would have seen the effects of that in their local supermarket as well, I'm sure. So this is a very timely and interesting topic uh, and uh, I'm very grateful to have you along today. Welcome, Alistair. Alistair, I wonder if you could give us a, a helicopter view of, of what's what's been going on in the food supply chain recently. Well, I think there's a few points, Hamish. The, first of all, um, in my view, the food and beverage um, industry or sector is recovering. You have to remember that the sector was classified as an essential service right from the start. And I think that not just in New Zealand, but in other countries as well, because there was a recognition that people had to continue to eat. So the principle was that supply chains stayed operational, port stayed operational, and the delivery of goods uh, would continue, and the manufacture of goods, as well as in the health industry, would continue um, as before. However, um, easy to say and, and a bit harder to do, because what we saw was, in fact, complete um, change in the demand patterns. Um, the hospitality industry was closed, so that led to people going to supermarkets to get um, base commodities and then shopping from home or oh, then consuming at home. So mm-hmm. hospitality closed, uh, home consumption. On top of that, you then faced a situation of panic buying. We saw the queues at the supermarkets, the stripping of toilet paper and flour. And I don't even think you can get baking powder at the moment still. So mm-hmm. that led to a major problem with uh, food manufacturers because they had to try and predict what was happening in a very unstable environment and and I guess one of the biggest impacts was the turning of the what we call the SNOP cycle or the demand planning cycle on its head and the need to move away from I guess a process or system approach to actually just using good old intuition to try and manage through that process so that was probably one of the um, major impacts um, the disruptions of cycle the panic buying leading to those changes in demand. So, so this this must create um, a real challenge for those companies who are at the at the thick of it, trying to manage these complex global operations with long lead times. So, yeah, it, it, what should they what should they do? One of the things we've got to do is is, is I, I think companies will come out of this much more robust. They've got an opportunity, or they've had an opportunity um, to focus on things that that. Um, are just good business practice. So if we think about that for a minute, segmentation principles, what are the customers and products that create the most value for your business? And we typically find that in most businesses, less than 10 customers will create somewhere between 30 to 40 to 50% of the revenue um, and value. Um, And, Sounds like Pareto's rule as well. It's, it's bigger than a Pareto rule, right? So, and, and you'll find that that twenty to thirty percent of your customers are creating seventy to eighty percent of the value. Mm. So, if you use that information, which is really valuable information, to focus on who you're going to make sure you support during the pandemic and who you're going to support as you come out of the pandemic, that's your opportunity to create the cash flow the fastest and get us back to a stable situation. And those, those customers, those separate one or two customers, are the ones that carry all of the weight. But not to say that 
there's a saying in the industry, um, all customers are important, but not all customers are equal, right? Mm. It's really, really important. You focus on the customers that, that create the most value. And from there, you can start to set your, um, your procurement strategies and things. One of the really important things that came through was um, these single, what, I, what we refer to as single points of failure. Yeah. Parts of your business across the value chain from your suppliers right through to your customers where you only had one off of something. And it could be that you only had one signatory on a document or right. one supplier um, for, a, for a, key, um, a key item. Um, yes. You know, the, the, you can extend it across everything. But looking Absolutely. at your single points of failure is a really, really important in um, understanding and building robustness back into your business. Yeah, we've noticed that as well in capital project supply chains where a certain part that's fundamental but um, is on supply from China or Europe can be um, absolutely critical to the yeah, overall yeah. project completion. There was, a, there was a lot of talk also about um, um, you know, disruption. of if, if you're in the import-export business, you're relying on imports or you're an exporter, the disruption to the supply chain globally. And look, that did occur. You saw massive, you saw China shut down or containers shut down as port congestion um, came on board. We saw uh, in some of those major ports where, the, um, for example, reefer containers um, were, were extremely congested. You saw um, huge sort of... Um, um, fees and things come on um, for temporarily um, to be able to ship there. We saw extension mm. of supply chain in Europe as, as the as the ports as as, as the ports um, slowed down or the air freight slowed down, and and there was more reliance on places like Amsterdam, um, Rotterdam, etc. for um, exports. And so, but channeling um, product from Europe. Um, from say Italy or Spain up to Amsterdam became quite a long process. So we see, and even now we see the supply chain extended by perhaps three to four weeks as mm. it's just taking longer to get through. But it is recovering, and I, and I think we should um, take heart in that. That's interesting. It's the the, the logistics supply chain um, is something that I think for many people it just happens. It just happens in the background. Yep. Materials come in, product goes out, customers are happy. But in this time of uncertainty, it just sounds as though the supply chain um, has become you know, one of the key areas to focus for companies. It, it, yeah, it, it is, and I, and I think there's a um, a bit of a shout out here for. Um, who you select as your supply partners because you know, I, uh, we hear a lot about saying, I, lo- I like this supply partner because he's small, he can focus mm-hmm. on my business. The problem with that is that when you get into a pandemic or a global upheaval, yeah. that person doesn't carry a lot of weight. And so then you start to say, well, should I be looking for a supply partner who has a lot of depth, has a lot of coverage, you know, if I'm mm-hmm. an ex- importer or exporter, the main freights of the world who um, you know, big New Zealand company, but with a footprint right throughout the world and, and yeah. the network to be able to carry weight with the shipping lines and, 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 and the air, airlines and things. So they become quite important players. So as part of looking at your single points of, of failure, um, your, your supply partners are, are, are an important part of that. And That's um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But, and- I can, I can imagine as well that you know that, that sort of driver is going to create a, an environment where the, the big, the strong will get bigger and stronger and maybe you know, there'll be more um, divestment acquisition activity as well that will promote that in the future. But, um, yeah, no there, there may be. And in some ways, that, I mean, you, could, you will always have two feelings on that, right? But um, the big get bigger. But 
you know, when you're on the back foot, um, you need uh, to be working with supply partners that can get you through. And, and you know, they, they tend to be proven all of the time. Mm. But there's a couple of other things that happened, um, I think, during this pandemic, which are really interesting. And one is that suddenly people were forced to work from home. So we had this whole movement to uh, remote working or working from home. And so um, we saw business who, prior to the pandemic, quite reluctant to do that, actually finding that probably that wasn't a bad thing. You've now mm-hmm. got a whole um, situation now with the workforce that's got a lot more flexibility around it, you know, being able to have flexible working hours, being able to cater for um, children or school children, things, and so, and having the technology available to be able to work from home. Real, I think that's quite important. And the other thing I think we saw, um, well, I know we see, is that you know, international travel stopped. So what we've seen is project teams, Zoom, those sort of, you know, the, the technology there to actually um, enable us to carry on the business as normal, but from our um, home office or, or from our work. And I think one of the things coming out of this is that we're, we've been forced to have a lot more dependence on technology. And a lot of companies saying, hey, that's probably not a bad thing. Do I need to now do all of this overseas travel? Can I run my relationships in a different way using technology? And so there's a real upside to what's coming on um, through um, technology and perhaps automation where we can remove sort of some of the manual repetitive work um, through um, and dependence through using automation to do that. Well, that's been great. That's been fascinating. Um, Alistair, any um, final words for, for clients out there who are wondering what's the what's the one next thing I should do? Yeah, I think, well, a, a couple of things. In the, if we think about the food and beverage industry and if the business was working well beforehand, now's probably not the time to think about changing the business strategy. Uh-huh. If it was working before, it'll work again. But now is the time to look at your technology strategies and your supply chain strategies and say, how do we build resilience responses back into that? Um, like we talked about segmentation as being important. We talked about getting into single points of failure. I think the last thing is there's debate about whether we're through this. There's a lot of debate around is there going to be a second wave or third mm. wave of COVID or and, and any pandemic. So right now is not the time to say let's get our inventory levels back down to where they were before. Focus on segmentation. For the next six months, just keep it safe. Don't try and, and, and cut a dollar because, um, you know, we need to prepare for a second wave if it happens. Mm, interesting. Well, thank you very much, Alistair. Fascinating. And it's great to hear that message. So I'm sure um, many of our listeners will be reassured that if their business was working well beforehand, then the strategy's not broken. So stick with it. But it's just that at the moment, there may need to be some focus on the underlying processes and technologies uh, in, in an effort to ensure that you've got the resilience for the current situation and maybe even for a second wave as well. Is um, really good. So I really appreciate that. Thank you, Alistair. And thank you to our listeners for joining us as well. I look forward to bringing you another episode of F&B Soundbites. Until then, as we say in New Zealand, hi da and farewell. <laughs>